Fathers, we come to your word and we come to uh, this time as uh, Noah is about to enter the ark and uh, Lord, the floods are about to come upon the earth and we see this worldwide judgment that takes place, uh, uh, Lord, and uh, then we see Noah, uh, next week we'll begin to see the floods recede and Noah get off the ark, Lord, and and uh, what a shock he's going to be in for as he as he as he sees this post-apocalyptic world. And so, Father, I just ask today that uh, you bless this study by your spirit and that uh, you give us the application that we need for our lives. Because, Lord, we're living in a time when, when it seems that things are becoming worse and worse. People are becoming more and more wicked. Uh, Father, it seems that we could be judged at any moment, that, that at any moment the trumpet could sound and and we could be out of here, and, and uh, Lord, then the great tribulation begin, and, and uh, your judgment is poured out on this earth just as it was during the time of the flood. And there's, there's lessons here, Lord, because uh, as in the days of Noah, uh, so will it be when you return. And, and Lord, there's great application for us here as we look at this text and, and just ponder what it's going to be like Lord, uh, when we are taken from this world, taken from the life that we're used to, and Lord, we're placed into a new world, a new life, and, and Lord, and, and uh, then come back to this post-apocalyptic world, and uh, Lord, just all the things that you'll have for us to do. It's just a lot to ponder here, Lord, as we look at this text, and I ask that you help us to do that, help us to learn the lessons you would have us to learn by the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask that in Christ's name, amen. All right, so we're in chapter 7 of the book of Genesis, and when we left off last time, we're going to hit the last part of chapter 7. Noah had been given seven days to prepare for the coming judgment. The floods were about to come upon the earth. As I was driving home after teaching through that passage last week, I was thinking to myself, what would it feel like If God spoke to me and told me in seven days the trumpet's going to blow and there's going to be the rapture and the great tribulation is going to begin. Or maybe look at it another way. What if God came to me and told me that in seven days uh, you're going to die and you're going to leave this earth and you're going to leave this world that you're so used to. And uh, when I look at Noah and his situation as we go through these chapters, I mean, you get some idea, or you can just ponder how he must have felt when God told him in seven days, seven days, and the world as you know it is going to end. And you're going to be on that ark, and it's going to be a culture shock. And then you're going to, you're going to after you leave the ark, you're going to walk out into a post-apocalyptic world, a world like you've never seen before in your entire life. Now, and now just think of how he must have felt. Well, uh, first of all, uh, Noah had to be... Uh, uh, pretty excited that, or pretty grateful that he was going to be spared. 
I mean, that, that would be my first thought. I mean, my first thought, if God told me I had seven days that I was going to die, my first thought would be, Lord, thank you, I know Jesus. You know, thank you that I'm going to be spared the judgment. Or if I'm going to be raptured, Lord, thank you I'm not going to be here for the great tribulation. Either way, I would, my heart would be full of joy. And I, I'm sure Noah's heart was full of gratitude and joy because he was being spared. Also, I believe his, he had a great hope. I mean, because he had looked around this world that he was living in and it had become more and more wicked. And, and now uh, God's about to destroy the wicked. And so there's hope for a better world. That's what we hope for. That's what, why we long for Christ to return so that there's a better world. And, and then there had to be this sense of satisfaction that he had done all that the Lord had told him to do and that he had completed the ark. It took him 100 years, but now he was done and he was about to, to actually experience uh, the fruit of all his hard work because it was going to be that ark that he was going to get on that was going to save his life. So he had to be feeling pretty good about this, but he had to be pretty, feeling pretty sad too if you think about it. I mean... I mean, life as he knew it for the first 600 years of his life was going to be changed drastically. I mean, uh, it was going to be gone forever. All his neighbors, they were going to be gone. All his friends and relatives, they were going to be gone, uh, except for uh, his wife and his, his three sons and their wives. That was going to be it. Everybody else was going to be gone forever. And his chances to warn his relatives, his chances to warn his friends, his chances to warn his neighbors, uh, they were all going to be gone But once he got on that, once he stepped on that ark and those rains began uh, to, to, to fall. And so to some degree, he had to experience a great culture shock. When he got on that boat, that in and of itself had to be a culture shock. He left, I'm sure he had a fine home and a nice little ranch, and, 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 and uh, he got on that uh, 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 boat, and that ranch was gone. I mean, all his cattle were going to be gone. All his pets were going to be gone, because God, I'm sure, used, uh, uh, sent small animals onto the boat, and so probably none of his animals made it on, and so his home was gone. I mean, everything he knew was gone, and so he gets on this ark, and that has to be a culture shock. But, but that culture shock was nothing like the culture shock he was going to face when the rain subsided and the ark landed on the mountains of Ararat and he got off of that ark into this post-apocalyptic world. You talk about a culture shock. He was going to experience a culture shock. Now, so I asked myself, you know, when I was driving home the other day, how would it feel? I mean, I was just looking around and I was thinking... How would it feel if I was to leave this world, everything that I'm used to, and go to an entirely different environment? I mean, just how would it feel? I mean, if God said seven days, and then you're going to die. Or seven days, and you're going to be raptured out of here. I think I would feel a lot like Noah. I mean, I think my heart would soar, you know, because... To be with Christ is great gain. And, and so, you know, I would be excited about that. But I've got to tell you what, that scares me. To, to land in the presence of God Almighty is a scary thought. To the judge, of, to land a sinner, a, a worm like me, to stand one day or on my face 
in the presence of God Almighty. That is a scary thought. Now, I look forward to it. Don't get me wrong. But I'm scared of that. I'm afraid of that. I'm sure the fear will go away once you see the Lord and you feel his love and all of those kind of things. But it's a scary thought uh, uh, to, to think about uh, standing in the very presence of God. And you talk about a culture shock. That's going to be a culture shock. I mean, to be translated into heaven, to be translated in the presence of God, that is going to be a culture shock. Uh, and, and I think I, I would probably feel a little bit sad, too. I think I would feel sad if God told me you got seven days left on this earth because, because all the things that I would be giving up, I mean, it certainly would be worth it. But I would be giving up a lot of things that I've gotten used to on this earth. I mean, I like riding my motorcycle up to Arkansas. I wouldn't be doing that anymore. I mean, I like shopping at Costco's. I mean, I, I wouldn't shop at Costco's. There's not going to be a Costco's anymore when we get to heaven, uh, when we get to the new earth. Hey, everybody, how many of you excited about the ball game today? I'm not. But how many of you excited? Don't you have to raise your hand? Well, well there's not going to be any more saints. And, and I think some of us, if we got raptured out of here today but at 2 o'clock, we would be looking back trying to check the score. <laughs> or as long as we had service, we'd be looking at our iPhones trying to watch the game. I mean, that's how much we love the saints. I don't know why. They've been brutal to us over the years. Broken our hearts several times. But, but we're, you, we like those things. I like to eat at a fine restaurant. I like Burger King. They're going to all be gone. All of that's going to be gone. My iPhone, it's going to be gone. No more cities to visit. I like going to big cities and visiting big cities. They're going to be all gone. My home, my property, my cat. I'm not going to see my cat anymore if I get raptured out of here. Who's going to take care of my cat? Some of you will be left behind to do that, but, but, and I hope you do. But, but along those lines, much more importantly, I will never again, never again, see my lost friends and my lost relatives. There are some people in this room that I will, would never see again if I got raptured out of here today. There's some of you. That's why I, I preach so hard to try to convict to everyone to make sure that you're born again, that you're saved. So I want to see every one of you except, I'm not going to say it. I want to see, look at Roy, he thinks I'm going to say him. I want to, seriously, I, I, man, I would, it would kill me if Roy wasn't in heaven. I mean, if for at least five minutes I would, I would be really sad about it. No, it would be terrible if Roy wasn't. It would be terrible if any of y'all weren't in heaven. I mean, that's why I plead with you every week to make sure, work out your salvation with fear and trouble. This is serious stuff. I mean, God could call you home today. He could call me home today. This might be my last chance to tell you to get right with the Lord. Not, and I'm talking about religion. I'm, not, I'm talking about in your relationship with the Lord. Make that number one in your life. And, 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 and once I'm out of here, that's my last chance. I mean, I'm done uh, warning people. I mean, I, I've had all the chances I'm going to get. And there's some people I'm never going to see again. There's relatives I'm never going to see again. You just think about that. And that makes me sad in a way. 
I mean, everything is going to be different. I mean, it's all going to be different. And, and so, I, you know, when you talk about the rapture, you got to come and you talk about the coming great tribulation. I see people get all excited about that. That's just going to be a terrible thing. A terrible, terrible thing. And it, it makes me sad. I mean, I'm excited in a way, but it makes me sad. And the longer the Lord prolongs it, the better it is for those few lost people that will get saved. The more chances we'll have. So we need to buy up the time, as Paul says. The, 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 the day is far gone, and the night is, I mean, the day is coming, the night is far spent. And so we need to get, we need to get busy and, and, and take these opportunities that we have now. Now, here's Noah. Poor Noah. You talk about being in for a culture shock. He's not heading to glory. He's heading to a post-apocalyptic world. And that's what we're going to see as we wade through this text in the, in, today and, and next week. So, so pick up with me in verse number 11. That's where we want to pick up today. He says, and we can get the exact date of the flood. The exact date of the flood. Here it is, right here. In the 600th year of Noah's life. And you can date that. To the year 1655, all you have to do is go through your genealogies and do a little calculation, and that is the year 1655. In the year 1655, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, on that day, the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. So the waters are about to flood the earth. And the rain was on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. I mean, here God condenses the water in this water canopy, and it begins to rain. And, and some people believe at this point, it's when God tilted the axis. Up until this point, uh, day, the years were measured in 360 days. It's funny, after the flood, they're measured in 365 days. 360 degrees is a perfect circle. And so you would have a 360-degree circle moving perfectly, and that would make for 360 days. But then you tilt the earth on its axis, and you, you, you add five days, two and a half degrees, you add five days to uh, the calendar year. And so the calendar has even changed at this point. And, and what happened, once that once that earth is tilted on its axis, you have your poles, uh, and instantaneously you have almost an ice age by those poles. That's why they can find uh, mammoths under, in full tack under some of those glaciers up around the, in Antarctica up around those poles because it was instantaneous that, that here you had this canopy and the temperature around the earth was equal all over and then all of a sudden the earth is tilted on its axis uh, the, that breaks open the, the uh, crust of the earth, the waters begin to pour out. You have this ice age. All the animals up in the northern part are instantly covered uh, by this ice. And that's why, again, you see these animals in full tack. With, 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 you can even get the DNA of their blood uh, up in those areas because they were killed instantaneously, uh, covered in ice instantaneously. And so... So uh, all of this happens, the water's contents, it begins to rain, the weight of the water comes down, uh, and the entire earth's surface is changed, and the, and, it, and the rains fall for 40 days and 40 nights. What's that number 40 in, 
in, in the numerology, in biblical numerology. What is it? It is testing and judgment. So here is Noah for 40 days and 40 nights. Man, he was being tested. No doubt he was being tested. That would test your faith. Uh, is this ark going to hold up? I mean, am I going to end up dead? Is my family going to end up dead? Are all these animals going to end up dead? And I'm sure he had faith in the Lord, but the Lord had told him, come into the ark, and that meant that the Lord was going to be with him through all of this. But, but he still had to operate by faith and not by sight. And so for 40 days he was tested. For 40 days and 40 nights, everybody else was judged. Now let me tell you something. God tests his people. He judges the wicked. Next time God is testing you, be grateful you're being tested and not judged. If you're a born-again believer, you've been perfected in Jesus Christ, you are never being judged by God. You will never be judged by God. Once you receive Jesus Christ, you will never be judged by God. But that doesn't mean that you won't be tested. You will be tested sometimes for 40 days and 40 nights, sometimes for 40 years. Moses was in the... Moses was tested 40 years, then he was hooked up with the Israelites, and he was tested for another 40 years. Poor guy. Uh, So, uh, you know, you don't know how long your test is going to last, but whenever you're in a test, whenever you're in a trial, praise God that it's not judgment, but that it's testing. All right, now, look at the next few verses here, beginning in verse number 13. He says, on the very same day, Noah and Noah's son, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of the sons with them entered the ark. And they and every beast after its kind, all cattle after its kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, and every bird after its kind, every bird of every sort. After its kind. Why this after its kind? After its kind? After its kind? You think maybe God knew that mankind, or really the devil, would dream up this uh, theology of evolution, this belief in evolution. And so he makes it very clear that even after the flood, the animals will live within their kind. A dog will always be a dog. Now, there, are, there is such a thing as microevolution. No doubt there was probably only one type of dog put on the ark. But those, ark, those dogs all can trace their genealogy back to those two dogs that were put on the ark. The variations come within the kind, but you never see a dog becoming a cat. Now, I saw a news article the other day, and they keep bringing us back up. They, done, they found the missing link again. They've always finding the missing link, but they never can prove that it's the missing link. In fact, most of the times it's disproved that it's, in fact, all of the time it's disproved that it's the missing link. My question is this. Think about this with common sense. If we are evolving, where, are the, is, where do we see evidence of that now show me one species on this show me one fish that's becoming a lizard one dog that's becoming a cat or one cat that's becoming a dog or whatever you show me one transitional form and i would believe in evolution you can see all sorts of mutations within the kinds you can see black birds turn to white birds but you're not or big birds turn to small birds but you're not going to see a bird become a dog 
And you're not going to see an ape become a man. Nowhere on earth do you see that happen. And you've never, we've never seen that happen. So open your eyes and, 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 and believe God's word. All right, going on, he says in, the, in verse number 15, And they went into the ark to Noah, two by two. God commanded them, and they went into the ark, all of the flesh uh, in which is in the breath of the earth, uh, of each kind. So those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went into the ark as the Lord commanded him. And then a really important phrase right here. And the Lord shut the door. Once all the animals was in, once Noah and his family were in, God himself shuts the door. And the fate of everyone on earth at that point was set. It was set. There was no going back at that point. And then they heard a sound they had never heard before. Drip, drop, drip, drop, drip, drop. And it got louder and it got faster and louder and louder. And then the waters began to rise. Uh, and, and, and people started chasing down higher ground. You remember during Katrina, those pictures we saw where those floodwaters began to rise and how people did everything they could to get to higher ground, how they, they took axes and opened up their roofs and stood on their roofs. And I'm sure people were doing that in this day. They were climbing trees. They were doing whatever they could to get to higher ground. But the waters kept rising. And so women and children began to drown. And, and, and I imagine there were a few people that, that when this began to happen, they said, oh, remember that old crazy guy Noah, the guy that built the ark? I mean, I mean, uh, he must have been on to something. Maybe we need to go to the ark and try to get into the ark, and, and maybe we can find safety there. And so I'm sure there were probably some people that ran to the ark or swam to the ark when this started happening, and, 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 but they're not going to get in. They weren't going to get in because God had shut the door. Why did God shut the door? It almost seems cruel that God would shut the door. Well, I tell you what, he wasn't being cruel. He was, he was protecting Noah and his family from these wicked people because if they had gotten on that ark, they would have stolen those rations and probably killed Noah and his family. There wouldn't have been enough rations for them, first of all, but they would have stolen what was there. The other reason God had set their fate and he wasn't going to give them any more chances to repent because they had no intention of repenting. They had no intention of turning to God. All they were interested in was saving their hide. And so God had shut the door and nobody was going to get in. Nobody at that point was going to get in. As in the days of Noah, so it will be when the Son of Man comes to this earth. This great tribulation that we read about in the Bible is coming really soon, really soon. And the day when it begins, for most people on this earth, the door is going to be shut. The door to the ark of Jesus Christ, the ark of salvation, is going to be shut. And no matter how hard they bang on that door, God's not going to let them in. You might think that's cruel, but they've had their opportunities. 
And the only reason they want in is to save their eyes. I'll give you a few verses to ponder here. Look, at, look over at Luke chapter uh, 13. The Lord was talking about the narrow way. Uh, see, strive to enter the narrow way uh, uh, before it's too late. Because there's going to come a time when you can't enter into the gate. The gate's going to be shut. And so he says in chapter 13, verse 25, he says, when the master of the house has risen up, I mean, when that day comes that the Lord is about to come back to this earth and the great tribulation begins, when once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand on the side and knock on the door saying, Lord, Lord, open for us, he will answer and say to you, I do not know you. Where are you from? Depart from me. I never knew you. Over in Revelation chapter 3, we, we weren't there. We were there not that long ago. You remember back in Revelation chapter 3, the church of Philadelphia. Go over to Revelation chapter 3. This church that, that is going to escape the great tribulation. It's a picture of the church in which we live in, the age in which we live in, the true believers. I believe there are two churches depicted in Revelation that mark the age in which we live. There's the lukewarm church, the Laodicean church, and there is the faithful church, the Philadelphian church, which is the church that will be raptured out of here before the great tribulation begins. Well, if you don't believe that, look, look at, let me just read to you here what it says. It says in verse number 7, And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, uh, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, the key of life, the key of eternal life, to to live in the Davidic kingdom in everlasting life. He who opens and no one shuts, and he who shuts and no one opens. When you're, if you keep rejecting God, and I, I know I'm, I, I don't have many people, or hopefully not anybody that's doing that, but there comes a point when people continue to reject God. At some point, He shuts the door, and that door can never be opened. I don't know what point that is. I tell you, I, I pushed Him pretty hard for a pretty long time, and He still saved me. So I don't know where, where the end of that is, but there is a point where God shuts the door. You reject God long enough, and you harden your heart against God, He will harden your heart, and He will shut the door. And when He shuts the door, just like in the days of Noah, when the door is shut, your opportunity for salvation is gone. He says, he goes on, and he says, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door. For the church of God, the door is wide open into into the Davidic kingdom, into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. He says, I know your work. See, I've set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. I love that. I can't even shut it myself if I wanted to. For you have a little strength. I, I like that too, because that, that defines me. I don't have a lot of strength, but I've got a little strength. And where does that little strength come from? It comes from the Lord. And you have kept my word, and you have not denied my name. I mean, Christians don't deny the name of Jesus Christ. I mean, you can't deny Jesus Christ. He lives in you. He's part of who you are. And so we don't deny the name of Jesus Christ. 
Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who the false religions, who the Jews who uh, and the Jews who have a false religion and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet, and to know that I have loved you because you have kept my command to persevere. That's what it's all about: is persevering. How do you persevere? You persevere because you're in Christ. If you're in Christ, you're going to persevere. Because you're in an open door that no one can shut. Now watch this. He says, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which will come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Everyone else is going to be judged in the great tribulation. And the door is going to be shut for most of those people. There's going to be some great tribulation saints, but for most of those people, their fate is set. Why is it set? Why would God do something, allow these terrible things that we see happening in the book of Revelation, the rest of the book of Revelation, all of these things that we looked at when we covered Revelation, why would he allow that to happen to billions and billions of people? Because they rejected him. And the only reason they would quit rejecting him would be to save their hide. Not because they wanted to repent of their evil, not because they wanted to have a relationship with the Lord, but just to save their hide, and God won't buy any of that. All right, now go back to Revelation, I mean back to Genesis chapter seven. And let's look at verse number seventeen. Now the flood was on the earth forty days. And the waters increased. And watch this. What a picture we have here. It lifted up the ark and it rose above the earth. The very floodwaters that were judging the rest of the world were the floodwaters that lifted the ark to salvation. Don't you see the picture you get here of the rapture? That's exactly the very floodwaters of judgment that will come upon this earth are the very waters that will push us up to the sky, up into the presence of Jesus Christ. Because when that great tribulation begins, then the trumpet is going to blow and we're going to be raptured out of here and we're going to be in the very presence of the Lord. All right, now, look at uh, verse 18, beginning down in verse 18. He says, The waters prevailed greatly and greatly increased on the earth And the ark moved about on the surface of the waters, and the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth, and all the high hills, uh, watch this, they prevailed exceedingly on the whole earth, and all the high hills under the whole heavens were covered. The waters prevailed 15 cubits upward, or 23 feet, above the mountains. So the mountains were covered by 23 feet of water. That is a lot of water. A lot of water. So this was not a regional flood. This was not a local flood. Let me tell you what. There are a lot of evangelical teachers out there. Now there are a lot on the, the, the other, other side too that teach that, that this was a local flood that God would never judge the whole earth with a worldwide judgment where everybody on the earth was killed. So these people that teach that 
this is a local flood uh, that don't believe in a universal flood are the same people that believe in universal salvation. They're universalists. They're these exact same people. You can spot them. Either way, they're wrong. They, they don't want to believe in a God that would judge everybody as harshly as they're judged in this, this passage that we're looking at today. They just don't want to believe that. But this was a worldwide flood. I mean, 23 feet of water above the mountains. I mean, that's above the highest mountains. Now, now we know when all of this happened, the earth is tilted, uh, the crust is being broken up, and these waters are pushing forward, and you've got the weight of all this water. And probably it was pushing these mountains up even higher. It's when the mountain peaks, that's why you find fish on top of a lot of the mountains, fish fossils on the top of a lot of mountains, because, because all of this was a catastrophic, apocalyptic event taking place all at once in a matter of days. And so what you had before the flood, you had hilly land, a lot of hilly land. You had one ocean, and you had one large mass of land. You, don't, you didn't have the oceans like we have today. So when all of this massive water started flowing for 40 days and 40 nights, actually it was before it started subsiding, it was 150 days. It was making these underground caverns. It was making dips in the ground. It was making uh, uh, all sorts of uh, uh, caverns under the sea. And, and so uh, once the waters receded, uh, there was room for the waters to recede. And then you had all of these mountains at the same time that were being pushed up and, and uh, all sorts of things that were happening here. And so, you know, the question's always been asked, where did all the water go? Well, you don't have to look far to find all the water. I mean, first of all, I'm sure some of it evaporated, but, but most of it settled into these lower places uh, uh, and settled into what we know as the oceans today. There wasn't those oceans. There was one land mass. Uh, before the flood, and, and then uh, the, you had the oceans that were created by the flood. And if you look at a map today, 70% of the earth is covered in water. Rivers, lakes, or, or oceans. So, so you, that's where most of the water went. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, a lot of the water was turned to ice. Uh, glaciers, the glaciers that we have today. Some, because of this global warming, they're showing maps now what the United States would look like if all the glaciers on the earth melted, and, and we, would be, we would have about 30% of the land mass we have now. So there's a lot of water that's stored up in those glaciers. There's a lot of water stored up in the ocean. In fact, if the earth was leveled out, the whole, the whole earth would be underwater by 100, 100 feet. So there's a lot of water there. So that's where the water went. Uh, but... Anyway, just think about it. There's people that say it was a local flood. That would be really dumb to build an ark. If, if it was just a local flood, I mean, God's not stupid. What would he have told Noah to do? There's a flood coming to, to the state of Louisiana, wherever he lived, to Israel, wherever he lived. Maybe you ought to migrate down to Africa. You know, maybe you ought to, if it was Louisiana, maybe you ought to migrate to Alabama, you know, for, until these floodwaters subside. So, so, so... Obviously, this was a worldwide flood. The main reason people don't like the idea of a worldwide flood is, and they diss this idea of a worldwide flood, is it, it is a witness of God's holiness and mankind's depravity. People don't want to think that we deserve judgment, but everybody deserves judgment. 
People don't like the idea that God hates sin so much that he would judge billions of people and he would destroy billions and billions of people on this earth. But that's how much God does hate sin. Now, God is love. God is merciful. God is long-suffering. He's all those things. But he is absolutely holy. And if he is absolutely holy, he's absolutely just. And if he is just, then he is going to punish sin. He's got to punish sin or he's not just. Who wants a God that's not just? I am so glad that God is just. I'm very glad he's just now. I've been saved by Jesus Christ who took my sin. So we're told in Romans chapter 3 that God could be both just and the justifier of those who come to faith through Jesus Christ. But people don't like that idea. They think they're pretty good. They don't need a Savior. They don't deserve judgment. God would be unjust if he judged them. Let me tell you what. Every single person in this room and every single person on this earth deserves hell. We have sinned against God. And so beware of those people who who teach that this flood was a local flood because, again, they're the same ones that teach that all roads lead to heaven. And what they are, they're the blind leading the blind and they're both going to end up in the pit. Now, Look at the harsh reality. I mean, just, just look at this flood. Just, just look at what happens here. I mean, it's, it's, it's given to us as plain as day, beginning in verse 21. Look at what happened. I mean, he says in verse number 21, it says, it says all and all flesh died. How much is all in the Hebrew? All. All flesh. That wasn't, this wasn't local. All flesh died that moved on the whole earth, birds and cattle and beasts and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth and every man. You know, Peter would string God up for this. I mean, who, who is he to kill every wonderful little innocent animal? And you got to ask the question, why, why would God kill the animals? Well, there's a couple of reasons. We were given dominion over the animal kingdom. And so when we groan because of our sin, the whole earth groans. And so you've got to look at this from a practical standpoint. What would have happened if none of the animals were killed and just the people were killed and Noah got off of that boat and him and his wife and his three sons and their wives So that's eight people. They got off of a boat in a world full of dinosaurs and snakes and lions and bears. See, for them to have a chance to survive, for them to continue to have dominion, the animals had to be killed off too and then put in a proportionate number on the ark. So as they repopulated, the human beings repopulated and there was this proper environmental mix. Uh, and so that's the reason he killed the animals. All right, but he killed all of them, uh, every one of them. All in, in, in he, he, he showed, gives it to us another way in verse 22. He says, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life. All that was on dry land, the fish didn't die. They didn't die. 
They, 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 were, they, they could breathe in water. Good for them. And then he puts it a third way in verse 23. And so God, he destroyed all living things which are on the face of the ground, both men and cattle and creeping things and birds of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Oh, only Noah and those animals that were spared on the ark who were with him in the ark remained alive. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Can you imagine Noah? Remember that little window he built on the top floor? Looking out that window and the whole earth is buried in water. Can you imagine what must have gone through his mind? I mean, why would a loving God deal out such a harsh judgment on mankind and on the animals? I mean, we hit on it a little bit, but there's several reasons. The most obvious reason is this, to punish sin. God hates sin. And, and so he poured out this water, he poured out this judgment to demonstrate his absolute holiness, to demonstrate that he's a just God, that he hates sin, all sin. Look, in God's eyes, there are big sins and there are little sins, but all sins are detestable to him. All sins lead to death. The wages of sin, not sin, sin, any sin, is death. If you sin, the soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. It, it doesn't name the sin. Any sin deserve, is deserving of death, big or little. That's why James says in chapter 2, verse 10, he says, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of violating the whole law. And, and, and so one sin, any sin, dooms us to the judgment of death because God is holy. He's absolute, absolutely holy. I mean, look at Adam and Eve. We, we talked about this when we were covering Adam and Eve's sin. It doesn't seem so bad to eat a piece of fruit that they would have to die because of that. That's kind of what the devil said to them. You, you, you know, you're going to eat of this and you're going to die? Surely you wouldn't die if you ate of this fruit. But God could see Cain. Because his sin came in the world, Cain murdered Abel. And then he saw what happened to Cain's family and how bad. That's why we're given their genealogy in, in the first part of Genesis. Sin leads to more sin, to greater sin. And no matter how small the sin is, it leads to death. Not just the punishment of death, it leads to death. It leads to death of joy, it leads to death of prosperity, it leads to death of peace, it leads to death of life, it leads to death. And so God is not going to have sin in his kingdom. No sin in his kingdom. Absolutely none. That's why we're told in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, that without absolute holiness, no one will see God. You'll never make it to heaven without absolutely, without absolute holiness. Sinners are not going to make it to heaven. Every single one of them is going to be judged. And they're going to be judged with a, a judgment much worse than the flood. The judgment of hell. Again, the same people that don't believe in the universal flood, they don't believe in the great tribulation, they don't believe in hell. Friends, God is going to judge sin. He creates us 
creates us as eternal beings not to sin. And if we sin, then we're going to live an eternity in hell. Unless, unless we come to Jesus Christ and we're, we're saved. Uh, so, the next thing, the, the other re- another reason that I see here for God meeting out such a heart harsh judgment on mankind, is to demonstrate his sovereignty over life. God is sovereign over life. The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. The only reason you have life is because God gives you life. Every breath I take, God gives me that breath. He gives me whatever time I have on this earth. And if he created me, he has the right to destroy me in hell. He has that right. He has that right. He is sovereign over life. Now, that brings us to, I think, the main reason that God meted out such a terrible judgment, a harsh judgment on this world, and that is to magnify his mercy and grace on sinners. Because where was Noah when all of this was happening? He was sitting above the earth. Why did he, was he sitting above the earth, him and his family? Because he had found grace in the sight of the Lord. He was righteous in his generation because he had found grace in the sight of the Lord. Any of us that are sitting above judgment, it's because we found grace in the sight of the Lord. That's why we have mercy. So here's Noah. He spent almost a year now on the ark uh, with a bunch of animals and a few people. It had to be some kind of culture shock. And he looks out that window and there's nothing left on earth but water. And those waters prevailed for 150 days before they began to recede. That's a culture shock. He had to be shocked. In the next chapter, we're going to see the waters actually recede, and the ark is going to end up resting on the mountains of Ararat, somewhere in that area. And God will tell him to get out of the ark. He doesn't tell him to come now. He tells him to get out. Get out of the ark, and he will set foot on a world that is absolutely devastated by the judgment of God. Pretty scary stuff. But as in the days of Noah, so will it be when the Son of Man comes back to this earth. And that judgment's coming in the near future. It's the judgment we call the day of the Lord, the great tribulation. Do you ever wonder what it's going to be like on this earth after the great tribulation? I mean, have you read? I mean, all of you went through Revelation with, with me. I mean, we went through it together. Did, did you ever ponder all of, those, all of that devastation that's going to take place when all of those trumpets are blown and the, the, the vials and bowls of wrath are poured out? I mean, billions of people are dying. 
I mean, I mean, how terrible is that going to be? And when we come back to this earth, we're going to come back to a post-apocalyptic world. It's going to be different. You talk about a culture shock, it's going to be a lot, whole lot different. Now, I kind of think maybe the Lord will speak, you know, uh, restoration uh, onto this earth, but, but maybe he won't. Maybe he'll use the people that are left on this earth and that'll be part of our ruling that, that we'll, we'll uh, supervise them and we'll rebuild the earth. But when it's rebuilt, let me tell you what, it's not going to be rebuilt anything like it is today. Now, we're going to be living in the New Jerusalem and that's a great city and I look forward to that. But, but man, what's going to go take place on this earth? I, I tell you, it's pretty, pretty scary. I mean, the New Jerusalem is going to be a culture shock. I can tell you that right now. It's going to be a lot different than anything you can imagine. But we're going to come back to this earth with Christ. And it's going to be a lot different than anything we can imagine. I mean, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think there are going to be any cars on earth. No motorcycles, no trucks. No saints. No skyscrapers, no interstates, no shopping malls. A lot of things that we're used to now, they're going to be gone. Totally gone. It's going to be a culture shock. It's going to be different. When we are raptured out of here, if you die and you are raptured out of here before the great the rapture, it's going to be a lot different than it is here on earth and that day's coming soon a hundred years from now whether there's a rapture or not every one of us will have been raptured out of here at some point into the presence of the lord and i would think that if it's coming really soon in my life and my life is probably coming real soon i ought to start getting ready for the culture shock i ought to start preparing myself for a world I'm not used to. Weaning myself, maybe off the things of this world, so I'm prepared for the world to come. But pastor, wait a minute, I don't want to wean myself off the things of this world. I love the things of this world. Be careful with that. What did John say in 1 John? Do not love the things of the world. If you love the things of the world, the love of the Father is not in you. Do not love the world or the things of the world. The love of the Father is not in you. So I think it would be a good idea to start weaning ourselves off of this world now. So how do we do that? How do we prepare ourselves for the coming judgment? How do we wean ourselves off of this world? Well, it doesn't mean that we sell everything we've got and we move up in the mountains and we become hermits. It doesn't mean that all, at all. What it means is that we quit loving the things of this world and we begin to love the things of Jesus Christ. They become the most important things in our life. You know, Paul tells us exactly how we wean ourselves off of the world over in Colossians chapter 3. He says, if you were seated with Christ, he says, seek those things above where Christ sitteth at the right hand of the Father. How many of you are seated with Christ? If you're born again believer, you are seated with Christ. That's your position now. So you're to seek those things above where Christ is seated Seated at the right hand of the Father. He goes on to say, set your mind 
on the things above and not on the things of this earth. Set your mind on the things above. That's something, an exercise you do. It's a discipline you do every day. You set your mind on the things above and the not on the things of this earth. And the more and more you do that, the more and more this world is going to become a culture shock to you. And the less and less of a culture shock heaven's going to be for you when you finally arrive there. Man, I've got to tell you, I've been around this earth for a while now, and more, the more and more wicked it becomes, the more and, and the more and more I set my mind on the things of Christ, the more it is in heaven that's a culture shock. It's this world that's a culture shock. I mean, I got an email this past week from the Louisiana, Louisiana Family Forum, and they sent me a picture that appeared on a cover of a major American magazine of a 10-year-old drag boy dressed up like a woman embracing a naked male drag queen and celebrating this freedom, this newfound freedom. You know what that is? That's pedophilia is what that is. That should get you thrown in jail for making pictures like that. But it doesn't anymore. People embrace that. Because, and we kind of just back off and say, oh, we just let it, we let it happen. We, you see what's happening in our old library here in Louisiana? You think maybe that's up north. But, I mean, you're talking about reading, having drag queens read to three-year-olds. That's pedophilia. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's sick. It's a shock to me that that's going on in our culture today. And so, what I got to do, I got to set my mind to get away from that. I don't bury my head in the sand, but I set my mind on Christ, who's seated in the heavenlies. I set my mind on the Holy Spirit, who I receive from Christ in the heavenlies. I set my mind on the righteousness of Christ, which I receive from the heavenlies. And... I really believe that if we do that, this world is going to grow more and more shocking to us. And the things of Christ are going to become more and more familiar to us. I kind of wonder if we're not shocked by these things that are going on on the earth now. And we'd be shocked by everything in heaven if we'll even make it to heaven. It's time we begin to wean ourselves off the things of this world. Everything in this world is becoming more and more wicked. You watch the saints today, look around. Look, just look at it real closely. There's some wicked things going on. Just in that ball game. I'm not telling you not to watch it. I'm going to watch it probably too. But everything's permeated with wickedness. And it should shock us. And we should prepare ourselves 
for heaven in a way that we're not shocked when we get there. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the lessons we learn here, Lord. Lord, help us to discipline our lives in such a way that, that we set our mind on you. We set our mind on your word. That we set our mind on righteousness and truth. And Lord, a couple of things will happen. We'll, we, we'll, we'll be at home with you. You will be who we're familiar with. We won't be shocked by the things of this word. Lord, we'll, we'll be familiar with those things. And Lord, also, if we live like that, based upon what we see in your word and what we receive from you, we'll be better witnesses in this world, Lord, that's lost and dying and that is about to be judged. Oh, how we need to be that kind of witness, Lord, that can lead some of these people out of the fire, the coming fire of judgment. Lord, give us that opportunity and give us that grace to be the people you want us to be in these last hours of this earth. I just ask you for your grace. We thank you for your grace in Jesus Christ. We thank you for our salvation, Lord. We don't deserve it. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any of us should boast. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for our lives. We pray in his name. Amen.